Welcome back to the Two Man Wall podcast. I know we say this every week, but this was quite a special match week. What a set of games we had this week from two big six matchups to some crazy, crazy finishes, like three game winners, I think, 80th minute on. Yeah, there were so many stoppage time winners. It was hectic and, you know, you can't watch all of them at once, but I wish I could have. But before we get into that, outside the uh, the Premier League, we got some UCL rigged question mark, Europa League rigged question mark. <laughs> Honestly, I I was well. If it was rigged, then Liverpool would have gotten through, though. <laughs> so I don't think we can we can say it's rigged. I mean, look, I didn't subscribe to the whole like you know rigged UCL draw theory, but Un- United and Barcelona have a twelve point five percent chance of drawing each other, and it happened. I think that the they just took advantage of. Like a potential huge spike in TV ratings, they didn't know if they were gonna get a matchup like this ever in the in the Europa League, maybe ever again. Honestly, no, they're not. These are these are two these are two of the biggest clubs on the planet playing in the Europa League. When is that? Gonna I think they just again? they got they snatched at it. They got greedy. I really do think that the, like truly, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, but I truly <laughs> think that this one was. It's just like two. It's too. It just makes logical it's sense. It's too good really of an opportunity. To... <laughs> like I think if I was the head of the Europa League, I might cheat to get this one. Like I might rig it. Like mm. I don't think uh, are people upset. Probably if you're a Barcelona or Man United fan, you didn't want this team so early. But like, I don't know. It, it, like honestly, it just seems rich. It, it seems rigged. It seems too good to be true. Obviously, there's a twelve point five percent chance of it happening naturally. But I don't know. It just seems rigged. For all the other aspects of soccer that are corrupt, this seems like a natural, this seems like an easy thing to to make corrupt. I mean, just look at everything that goes yeah. on in FIFA and UEFA. This this wouldn't be out of the picture. But you got a, you have a worst team wins update for us? Yes, I do. Uh, this was, this was an all-time week, I think, for my team. I think... This could be the lowest scoring week for either of our I teams for a full game week. I think I may have ha- I think I had like a 12 point week, but that was like the week after the queen died, so like half the teams yeah. didn't play. So I don't we can really count that one. But no, this was a complete and other clean shit show for my team. 15 point total. Um I think Sokka was the only assist, yeah. person on my only player on my team to have any sort of goal involvement. Half my team didn't even play, I don't yeah. think. Um uh for me it was not injured. He did get in the game. Uh but Richarlison was injured. I'm pretty sure Sancho was injured. Maguire didn't play. Uh Longley had a stinker. Yeah, this this team is hitting its stride uh for me. And your team still Still has Holland, so not much oh, yeah. you can do there. He didn't even play well. <laughs> he got bailed out by a <laughs> shitty penalty call. Like, good job. He didn't even start. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, Luis Diaz too on my team is injured. Uh, yeah, there. You're in a tough spot right now, buddy. I hate to say it. Madison's playing well too, and you have a lot of players who aren't playing well. Like Sterling, he's been great for you yeah. this season. Uh, Erickson, <laughs> like he's been, even though he's been, his points have been doubled. He's been like pretty like irrelevant and nunez like yeah. 
continues to not impress me. Although he gets, you know, he gets the goals and assists because he's part of that attack, but like he just doesn't impress me. I wish I'd got negative points for it doesn't impress me, but that's not how it works. So the gap just continues to widen this season. My team, Garnacho Cheese, which Garnacho is finally starting, so it's kind of relevant <laughs> now. Uh, anyway, my team has a total of 445 points over the course of this season, while Braden's has a whopping 573. Whoopee. It's, it's not looking good going into the World Cup break. You have one more I could week, use it. maybe you can. My team could use the World <laughs> Cup break. I need a couple injuries in there. Yeah, Holland just gonna like sit to regroup, get everyone dormant and like recharge for a month, which is not yeah. good. But everyone else hopefully gets injured. I don't know. Nunes will be in in the Uruguay squad. Oh, wait, did Uruguay, Uruguay made the World Cup, right? Okay. Yes. All right, just making sure. You can never you can never tell with those conmebol countries. They you know Chile always like Chile, Colombia, Uruguay. They always like yeah. yeah Colombia didn't yeah. make it. Um. Yeah, I uh. I think it's the injuries, you know? Like, Diaz and Richarlison would be two 90-minute players, especially in the, like, um, Tottenham team, which had to play Ivan Perisic as a second striker to Harry Kane this week. Like, Richarlison would have been heavily involved, and obviously Luis Diaz is pretty damn good. So those injuries are kind of mm. – I mean, obviously Erling Holland doesn't help, but um, if I need to get back into it, I kind of – I think I need the injuries to swing my way and not your way. Yeah. But anyways, into the game summary for this week. Four games you want to spotlight this week. A TMW high for a single week. Four games to spotlight this week. Starting off with, you know, if I wasn't an Arsenal fan, this game would be my favorite game of the weekend. Leeds 4, Bournemouth 3. And these are the type of games that truly make the Premier League the greatest league in the world. Two teams. Another Leeds classic. <laughs> two teams that desperately, desperately need points to stay, um, you know, stay up in, this, in, uh, in the Premier League. Um, Leeds need it just that little bit more because their manager is more on the hot seat than uh, the Bournemouth's managerial tenure. But... Two relegation-threatened teams. Not only do they need the points, but they can't really afford to give away points to their opponents in this game. These are two teams that, you know, assuming Nottingham Forest goes down, two teams that could easily slot in to 18 and 19. And they cannot afford to give points to the other team. So this game was going to be spicy from not just the players, but the fans as well, because they know how much it means. And it starts off, with an early Rodrigo penalty, uh, on form Rodrigo, it's tough to it's tough yeah, to say that Leeds so. have played badly, just haven't got results. So it starts off with Rodrigo penalty very early in the game, got Ellen Road firing, and then Leeds go on to concede three in a row, three, you know, convincing goals in a row. Bournemouth were putting the pressure on in this game; they were battering Leeds. Yeah. And they put three in a, three away in a row to make it 3-1. And upon the third goal, after coming back from Anfield and getting a win, this Leeds team got booed by their home fans. And Leeds clearly were not going to take that. They came back and scored not one, not two to tie, but three by who else? I'm going to try to pronounce this. Srencio Somerville. Somerville's easier to pronounce. I think it's Crescencio. Crescencio? <laughs> 
Crescentio Somerville. Anfield's match winner, and now the the match winner at Ellen Road. 4-3, Leeds United take all three and get a huge boost in the relegation battle early in the season. This is, you know, borderline one of the games of the season. I know games of the season usually happen between the big six teams, but this is, you know, just as important for these two clubs. No, this was definitely one of the games of the season. Like you said, this is a high-stakes matchup. Both of these teams really needed the points. I mean, look at the Premier League table as a result of this. Bournemouth now sit 17th, one point above the drop, while Leeds give themselves a bit more distance. They now sit three points above the drop. But Leeds would have been on 12 points if they had lost this game, which would have been level on points with 18th place Southampton. So clearly... The stakes were very high in this match, and both teams played like the stakes were high, and that's what made it such an entertaining match. And Crescencio Somerville, I mean, two back-to-back, you know, late match winners, scoring clutch goals like a prime noodle-haired Ronaldo. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's great to watch, and obviously, you know, us, you know, American Premier League fans have a soft spot for Leeds. <laughs> but also, I just have a soft spot for them because, like you said, they've been performing really well. And up until these last two weeks, they just haven't been getting the results to, to match their performance. But this was another, you know, similar performance to the one at Anfield where they just had to dig deep. And that's kind of been the, it's been the main message of Jesse Marsh. And it's kind of been the motto of this team is just, you know, just keep on yeah. going. And, you know, dig deep. And they've found a way to win because of that. With that win, Leeds United fly up the table into 12th place because it's so tight from 11th down to 12th. The 11th is Brentford with 16 points and a game at hand on Leeds United. Everyone else has played 14. Then 15-15, 14-14-14, and then just outside the relegation zone sits Bournemouth on 13, and then 12-10-10. So a win from Southampton, who just fired their manager, Ralph Hausenhutl. Rest in peace, by the way, to his managerial tenure. We'll get to him later when we go yeah. through the, the out-of-town scores. But a win from a new manager win from, from a Hassenhutl-less Southampton would put them into 13th place. And right now they're in the relegation yeah. zone and just fired their manager. So wins from relegation threatened sides, obviously they, you know, points are few and far between for those sides and any win kind of shoots them up the table, but it is so congested down here. Leeds United jump up to 12th while Bournemouth slipped down to just outside the relegation zone on 13 points. They've lost, I believe, four in a row now, which is not so good. They have lost four in a row. Um... They sit one point above Southampton. And things change very quickly. Yes, we know that. Things have changed very quickly in the Premier League for Bournemouth, and that's what can happen. Before this four-game losing streak, they were 10th. Yeah. And, you know, looking like, you know, they, you know, weren't even a part of the relegation, you know, battle at that time. But then they remembered that they were Bournemouth, and (laughs) they really don't have the squad quality you know to match the level of the premier league in my opinion that's what i said before the season and it still kind of rings you figured it would come around eventually but um it did look like they were defying the odds a little bit and we're gonna stay up but still a long season to go 
just over a third of the way through. So nothing's and still certain. like you said, one win and they'll be yeah. you know <laughs> mid table. <Seriously>. So <laughs> um, move on to our next game. My second favorite game of the weekend, barely, slightly. Chelsea nil, Arsenal won. This is a match that I don't really know if the scoreline tells the tale because if you watch this match, you'd think that the way Chelsea played, at least offensively, uh, they might have deserved negative goals. They conjured up a whopping point zero five expected goals in the entire second half. That means if Arsenal and Chelsea played, which they will, hopefully, barring nuclear catastrophe, for the next 20 years at the Chelsea home stadium, whether it be Stamford Bridge or not, Chelsea will score one goal in the second half if it's played identically. In the next 20 years, they'll score one second half goal based on their XG. That's just how dominant Arsenal were defensively. Now, offensively, they were good. They put the pressure on. Didn't generate a ton of chances. But they certainly did enough to win the game. And they won the game. But they, the main headline to come out of this game is that Arsenal, who have struggled away at the Big Six in years past, take another, you know, break through another ceiling and dominate a Big Six team away from home. Yeah, I mean, this is the third win in a row for Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. And honestly... First team uh, ever to do that, by the way. I was saying... <laughs> uh, I was saying this, you know, while I was watching the game. Going into Stamford Bridge just doesn't really scare me. There's nothing scary about the Stamford Bridge atmosphere. I mean, when we played the way at Old Trafford, like, you could tell, you know, like, the atmosphere, you know, was getting to the players, and it was a difficult environment to play in. But I don't... but. Playing Chelsea, either at Stamford Bridge or I don't see it as like a downside playing away from home. Like I don't see it as a disadvantage other than the fact that you don't have the advantage of playing in front of your home fans. The the atmosphere wasn't that good and obviously the performance did not yeah. match. Uh yeah. Chelsea had completely lost the midfield battle in this game. Jaka and Party completely Flawless. dominated the middle third of the field. And like you said, in the offensive third, Chelsea had chances to have chances, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Like they could have gotten them. There were there were a couple slip balls through from Sterling into Havertz, where Havertz could have taken advantage. He had one. There was one particular incident where like Ramsdale came out, and I think Havertz Havertz got to the ball first, but he just like wasn't expecting to get to the ball first, mm-hmm. and. He put in like a really, a really like weak shot that Ramsdale easily mm-hmm. dealt with. Um, he had another. There's a one. There's one chance like eight minutes in where I remember Arsenal had completely dominated like the first like ten minutes, and all of a sudden Chelsea had this break that they, again, it was a nice like slip through ball from Raheem Sterling, and they just completely botched the opportunity. And that front line of Aubameyang. And we can talk about bombing in a second in his, you know, quote, revenge yeah. game. Uh, his nothing personal <laughs> game. Uh, but that front line of Sterling, Havertz, and uh, Aubameyang was just shambolic. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's, there's not, when I look at this Chelsea team, I just don't see that many threats. And another thing that I kind of realized watching this game is just how important offensively 
Chilwell and James are yeah. to Chelsea's Absolutely. attack because they there was no there was no added dimension to this attack. Like it was Aubameyang, Havertz, and Sterling, and they weren't doing it. Ruben Loftus Cheek. And there was no plan yeah. B. Ruben Loftus Cheek is a right wing back. It just does not threaten any team, yeah. honestly. Yeah, so Chelsea have big problems going forward. And defensively, they looked actually pretty yeah. good. Like you said, Arsenal didn't have that many big chances in this game. And their goal was, you can almost say a fluke, Havertz completely yeah. whiffed. At the near post, and that kind of just yeah. let the ball across I, for you know Gabriel to tap into. I think game. Arsenal deserve to win this game. However, they definitely deserve. They to also win the game. deserve to take three points from Southampton, and arguably, you know, Mandela effect or not Mandela effect, butterfly effect. You know, Gabriel Martinelli's goal stands on that Odegaard foul, and it's a completely different game. So, like, sure, they deserve to win every game, but. The reason champions are champions and good teams are good teams is they take their chances and they win those games. And Arsenal didn't take their chances against Chelsea and very well could have been a nil-nil because they didn't take their chances. So um, I think the Chelsea defense played okay. They didn't play fantastic, but they played okay. Um, but yeah, not having Reese James. You know, Chilwell, not having Chilwell, I think if they had Fofana back, they wouldn't have to play Cucurella as that third center back and they would slide Cucurella up to the left wing back where he might be a little more comfortable. Um, so I don't think Chilwell is quite as big of a loss as Reese James is because if we had, if they had Reese James running at Zinchenko, who is, you know, likely the weakest defensive link in this Arsenal side, mm. he's not the quickest. He's not great. One V one defender. If Re- if Zinchenko had to deal with Reece- no, that's not his role yeah. in the team. Zinchenko. If, if Zinchenko played fine. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Lock it down mm. at left back when needed. And then, flow into the midfield and progress the ball when needed. And he did that perfectly. Um, but if he had to deal with Reese James on Sunday morning, that would have been a much, much different game. And, you know, Kai Havertz, Aubameyang, they don't do well unless they get service. And I think Reese James would have helped with the service significantly. Yeah, absolutely. That being said, uh, that being said, um, I will take a second to praise my Arsenal because they were play- Thomas Party. Thomas Party. This every game, there's nothing he could do to 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 let me down. Nothing. I I honestly, I don't know when he turned into the greatest passer I've ever laid my eyes on, but he's incredible. He's like when you don't put pressure on Patrick Mahomes, and you're just like, well, somebody's gonna be open forty yards downfield. Like, if you don't pressure Thomas Party. He's going to pick his chin up and play a perfectly weighted ball that's going to cut your defense in half. You, the only way to neutralize Thomas Party right now is to put pressure on him so he plays a square ball. He is that good. If you watch his passes, like I've never seen a midfielder play every single pass with the perfect amount of weight to it. It's like unbelievable. It, like if you sit down and actually watch like a Twitter compilation of Thomas Party's like Every touch from a Thomas Party game recently, he's been un- unbelievable. And this wasn't the way it was when he started his Arsenal career. He had many flaws. He had errors leading to goals. He was not this flawless. But somehow, at this point in his career, he has turned into an indispensable player for this team. And I think if I were to pick one player in this team, 
might be William Saliba. But if I were to pick one player in this team that we absolutely, without question, cannot lose, I think it's Thomas Party. He just seems the most irreplaceable. Yeah, I, I can't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, with Saliba, like Saliba, obviously, Saliba's man of the match yes. in this game, too, right, and so. deservedly so. There's not too much to talk about with Saliba other than the fact that he just put in a monstrous you know, defensive display. He was just simply fantastic. But with Saliba, he's just a really, really good defender. Like he, And if we were to lose Saliba, we'd just have a worse defender in there. But with Parthi, he's just, he's just so calm on the ball. Like whenever, he never looks, you know, no matter what situation he receives the ball in, he just never looks panicked. He just has such silky feet. And like you said, his way of passing is always, you know, precise and near perfect. It's just so nice to have a midfielder like that who you can rely on in any sort of situation to receive and distribute. And without party, I mean, I've seen so many stats recently about like Arsenal's like win percentage with and without him. And it doesn't surprise me in the slightest because he is a really key element to this midfield. But Another player I do want to praise in this game is Gabriel Jesus. Uh, and again, his goal drought continues, which I'm sure for him, you know, he'll want to, he has one last chance to end that goal drought before the World mm-hmm. Cup starts. But the issue with Jesus is that for the past couple of weeks, his performances have lacked goals, but also just his overall, you know, flair and what he brings to this team which is you know his hold-up play his you know dribbling ability his defensive you know press pressures and ball winning which you know he hasn't been bad but it just wasn't up to you know the standard that was at the beginning of the season but he did everything in this game besides score his he drew so many fouls he was everywhere his hold-up play was phenomenal especially in the last 10-15 his defensive pressure you know arsenal were managing this game yeah, he his he won the ball. He tracked down Thiago yeah. Silva to win the ball, uh, which you know subsequently led to a shot, which led to a corner, which Arsenal then scored on. And it's just these little things, his all round play that makes Jesus such a good striker that you know just can't be measured, you know, and just by mere goals and assists. And honestly, that's all I care about. If Jesus puts in those performances. Every single week, Arsenal will be just fine because the goals will come from somewhere, but it'll be all because he's, you know, winning the ball and, you know, adding dimensions to this attack, even if it isn't goals and the goals will come for him. So I'm not too worried about that. Me neither. Me neither. But we have to move on. We got two more games to cover. Spurs one, Liverpool two, Liverpool get three points in fact their first road win of the season come match week 14 their first road win of the season it's been that kind of season for Liverpool but a big six win might just be I mean it wasn't when they beat City but it might just be the spark they need um obviously going to the World Cup break but um they got one week left so we'll see game of two halves Spurs look pretty lackluster in the first 45 but after Liverpool put two in, kind of turned things up a little bit. Maybe Liverpool turned it down offensively a little bit and kind of tried to protect. Um, but Tottenham pretty handicapped in this game. 
they were playing without Kulishevsky, without Son, without Richarlison. Perisic was playing as a striker, which I uh, apparently he's done that before. I have never seen Perisic play striker in my entire life. <laughs> I when I sat down to watch the game, I did read the lineups. Um and then I said to my friend sitting next to me, I swear to God, it looks like Paris is just playing striker. And it turns out he was. Um, <laughs> so they were pretty handicapped in this game. Honestly, I would have changed my prediction from last week if I knew how handicapped they were. Um, but this was a great opportunity for Liverpool to go away from home and get a win. And they did pretty much just that. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, a much-needed win for Liverpool. Um <clears throat> One of the things I noticed was just that uh, Salah was playing through the middle in this game, similar to the way he played against City, and it seems to be really working for him because, I mean, Salah is just such a good finisher of the ball, and when he's playing on the right wing, it's almost like, you know, he has to create all these opportunities for himself. Like, when he gets the ball, he has to go by, you know, one, two people before he can create, you know, that shot for himself. And even then, usually, he's still bagging the goals. But now, you know, just look at the two goals he scored. Yeah, you know, when he's playing through a mill, he received it in the box. All he has to do take one touch. And, you know, he has Lloris as mercy. He's already, you know, in the middle of the box and he can just slide into the bottom corner. Now, obviously, his second goal was a uh, atrocious header from Dyer, just not, you know, seeing Salah. And to be fair, Salah, he did read, you know, the headed back pass. But again, Salah playing through the middle, he can press through there. And once he gets on the ball one one with Lloris, you know, there's only gonna be one outcome. So we'll see how that looks when you know, after the World Cup when Liverpool have all, you know, their attacking options back, obviously. Uh no Luis Diaz, no Diogo Jota, so they have to, you know, reconfigure that attack a little bit. So we'll see how that works when everybody is fully fit again. But right now, solid through the middle is really what's, you know, keeping this you know, Liverpool ship afloat going forward, at least. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it just seemed like, well, first of all, whenever Spurs don't score the first goal, it gets a little hairy for them. That's just the way they play. When they get the first goal, deadly, deadly team. Because not only are they, do they play a very, very low block and they're very tough to break down and they're good at what they do, but even if you pressure, it requires you to put that much more pressure on them, which makes you that much more vulnerable to their lethal counterattack. So when they don't score the first goal, especially in a big six game like this, I just it's very tough to see a way back for them, if not for you know some fluke shit. And that's kind of what happened. Liverpool got the first goal. Spurs couldn't counter. Liverpool got the second goal off a of fluke. and. Pretty much say goodnight. Liverpool had the opportunity to sit back and have Spurs play through them. And not only are Spurs not good at doing that, but they don't have the personnel to do that either because they don't have their attacking options. So, and they needed, you know, a cross from Harry Kane to get one back. Uh, onto Harry Kane's head to get one back. Like, it's... They have this formula that they've been following so far this season. And this game just didn't follow that formula. And, you know, the good teams can kind of win in multiple ways. And I feel like even though Spurs have been very good at winning a certain way, that 
kind of fortune is going to run out at some point, which has been my criticism the whole season about Spurs is that like they're very good at what they do, but when when they, what they do doesn't work, they don't have another option. They can't like kick it into another gear. It's like the same team with the same tactics. And if shit if like shit hits the fan in the 25th minute, like that's that. It's I don't know. It's and of course they can come back against teams like Bournemouth, but when you play a team like Liverpool as bad as they've been this season, they still are going to have trouble if it doesn't the game doesn't go according to their programmed script. So that's my that's my criticism of of Tottenham. That's my criticism of Conte of of his style. It works most of the time, but when it doesn't, it just they look defeated, you know? So not too worried about Spurs. I still think that they will end up barring some collapse injuries. Obviously I've dealt with a lot of injuries. Um they'll still end up in the top four in my opinion, but it just worries me as a neutral. As an Arsenal fan, I love it, but as a neutral, um, it just worries me that they can't win in more than one way. That's what I'll say. Yeah, it seems like these past couple of weeks they have been kind of having to abandon their game plan. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at these past couple of games, it's been chaotic. I mean, the Bournemouth game, obviously, they had to come back from 2 0 down. Uh, midweek against Marseille, they needed. A stoppage time winner to go through uh, at the top of the group, and obviously this game, uh, you know they had to try and come back, but this Liverpool defense was just in the end had a bit too much quality in it in order for them to claw it back, and yeah, when Tottenham you know don't go by you know their game plan or can't stick to their guns, which they haven't been able to recently, because like you said, they've been handicapped yeah. with these injuries. I mean, the game completely changed when Kulosevsky came on. He's really the one who kind of, I mean, he assisted uh, Kane for that goal to get them back in, and he really gave a whole new dynamic to this, you know, Tottenham offense. Uh, but yeah, like you said, when when he wasn't on the field, and it was just like a twosome of Kane and Perisic up top, like they can't counterattack like they can when it's Kane and Son and Kulosevsky. Like, they just can't execute their game plan. That's kind of been the case these past couple of weeks and it's looked worrying for Tottenham when they haven't had their full attack and you know it's never good when you know you're losing players and you can't prove that you can be the same team you know without them now you look at a team like Arsenal and honestly they haven't had to prove that yet luckily mm. for them I mean sometimes it's just luck of the draw you know if you want to stay top of the league above Manchester City, you're going to need a bit of injury luck, which is what they have had. And I think, you know, again, a bit on a tangent here, but I think, you know, for any team, you know, it becomes a question of, okay, when you lose, you know, your key guys, are you the same team? And right now it doesn't look like Tottenham are. Yeah, honestly, there's only one team in the league that can recover from injuries like that, and it's Man City. So, you know, mm -hmm. injuries are always going to derail a team. It just, it worries me that, they don't really have more than one plan of attack when it comes to winning a Premier League match. Yeah. But we must move on to our final game we're going to spotlight this week. Aston Villa 3, Manchester United 1. Unai Emery at a Villa team is just simply a different breed. And honestly, if you watch this whole game, they showed a lot of, you know, sideline shots of, of Unai Emery. Um, he almost looked like a front man for this team. 
he he looked like he had no part in this. Like the lineup was decided last week, <laughs> and he was like, "Wow, we we won the game. All right, cool." He walked. He shook Ten Hog's hand and walked straight down the tunnel. Like after the game, they he just blitzed United, won three one. First game in charge of Aston Villa, just walked straight down the tunnel. Didn't shake any of his players' head. Just walked straight down the tunnel. I don't know. I don't remember if he did that at Arsenal. Or if he just does that normally at every team he manages, but he was like, "Cool, thanks," and walks straight down the tunnel. Like I can't tell if that's if that's badass or like he's nervous or I don't know. But either way, Aston Villa were completely and utterly dominant in this game. Um, Manchester United was forced to start, forced to start. Crazy, I'm saying that nowadays. Cristiano Ronaldo at striker, um, and he looks his typical, recent typical self, a little bit unthreatening. Um, and Unai Emery's team was quite the opposite. Leon Bailey getting him on the board early. Then I believe, who was it? Ollie Watkins? No, it was Luka Luka D- D- of course, the free kick. kick. Yes, Luca Dina free kick. And then just after the half, I believe it was uh, a Jacob Rams. No, it was a, I'm talking about Luke Shaw. That fluky oh, ass well, goal. Well, it was just before the half. Um, a lot of deflected yeah. goals. It, actually, that ended up being uh, Jacob Ramsey's oh, was own it? goal that one. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it was. Jacob Ramsey goal. net some zero on the day. He gets his goal <laughs> to reinstate the 3-1, the two-goal advantage, and it finished 3-1 at Villa Park. This one, it, I, I said it before when I said, when I was giving like the what's next for United update, uh, I believe it was a couple weeks ago. Um, and I just wasn't convinced that United would crack top four just because they're too inconsistent. Like, they'll get up for the big games, Liverpool at home, uh, Arsenal at home, and then they'll go to Aston Villa and the whole team will be unmotivated. And that's basically what they looked like in this game. They looked like this three points meant much less than the three points against Arsenal at home or against Liverpool at home. And it's those inconsistencies that are just damning this team. And it's the inconsistencies that will continue to come. And they might go on a run and like crack top four around February. But I guarantee you, they will hit a bad run and they'll go right back down to feather six. Because this team is just too inconsistent right now. Obviously, they didn't have Bruno Fernandez, um, who's a linchpin in their attack. But um, it's uh, Varane, I guess you could say. But I, it just doesn't seem like those players would have done it for them on a day like today they just the whole team looked uninspired didn't have really much going offensively Villa had all the momentum all the attacks all the expected goals and it was a just result in the end yeah it seemed like the same old story for United when they underperform which is just the fact that they can't break down you know these low block defenses and especially without Bruno Fernandez. I mean Bruno Fernandez is so crucial to their attack even when they can, you know, or when even when they do have the opportunity to play on the counter attack. But today, you know, Villa were very much, you know, sit back and counter. I mean, and with the speed they have, you know, going forward with Watkins and Leon Bailey, who could blame them. Uh but yeah, I mean they had to, you know, start all their bench warmers, you know, Van de Beek and uh Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> And Van de Beek, I mean, it's just is he's just not a number ten. You know, they're trying yeah. to, you know, fit a square peg in a round hole and it just wasn't working. He just wasn't adding, you know, 
any sort of creative element to that United attack like Bruno Fernandez could. And like you said, yeah, just an uninspiring performance going forward. They really had nothing offensively. Their one goal came from, you know, a an own goal, a half-hearted yeah. uh, volley from Luke Shaw from outside the box. Took a wicked deflection. Uh, nothing Emmy Martinez can do about that. Honestly, it's just kind of a back-to-the-drawing-board kind of performance for United. I mean, you said before, it's just the inconsistency. You don't know what games, you know, they're going to be motivated for. And yes, you know, they were handicapped by injuries similar to Tottenham this weekend. Um, they had to, you know, start Garnacho on the wing, a good young player, but still very inexperienced. Obviously missing Varane at the heart of their defense. Varane and, uh, and uh, Lissandra Martinez have been, you know, such a strong partnership when they have been on the field together. But yeah, you just don't know which games United are going to be up for. Yeah. And, you know, that's an issue. It seems like they're going to be, you know, in a dogfight in the end, you know, for top four. And you need to know at the very least that your team is going to be, you know, fighting for every game. Arsenal, you know, played every game in the back stretch of their season. Like, you know, it was a cup final. And they still managed to yeah. miss out. And if United can't find a way to motivate themselves for each and every game, regardless of how they play, then they're going to have issues. I agree. And I, I'll say it again with the top four race. That assuming, assuming it's Arsenal, City, and Spurs in whatever order um, in the top three. Chelsea and United... If Liverpool continue to be, you know, in all honesty, dog shit, um, <laughs> it's going to be between Newcastle, can't forget about Newcastle nowadays, Newcastle, United, mm. and Chelsea. And Chelsea and United have a leg up on Newcastle because of their talent. And it's there for United, and it's there for Chelsea. And it's really which one fucks up less. Because neither of those teams look like they are convincing enough to take the fourth spot, so it's really going to come down to who fucks up less. And I don't. I think Man United are going to fuck up more. It's probably injury dependent at this point, but I think they're they're just going to be too inconsistent. So I I probably see them coming around fifth. You know, Newcastle right now I don't see them slowing down, so they could easily take fourth. But we will see. We will see. And we'll move on to our match week fifteen content. Last match week before the um, World Cup break. And you have a goal pick update for us. I do. Uh, there was only one goal out of our six players who played last week. Uh, well, I shouldn't say played last week because I'm still continuing my streak of picking one injured player <laughs> per week. Anthony, I thought it was just a one-week injury last week when I picked him and he didn't play. He didn't play again, so no goals from him. But I did get one goal courtesy of Harvey Barnes in the 86th minute of Leicester's 2-0 win against Everton. Uh, but I didn't get a goal out of Skamaka, surprising. Mm. <laughs> uh, I did not choose him. That was a block from Braden. So I got one goal, which was enough to beat out Braden's goal tally this week, which was a fat donut from Jesus, Tony, 
and Armstrong. Which one? I don't know. Stewart, Adam, doesn't matter. I had matter. four Neither players this week, and I still so, couldn't get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I gave you both. So, <laughs> Anyway, so that'll just add the one goal to my season tally of 13, while Braden only has six this right. season. Enough of, no, emphasis on behind six there. This relax. one, too. <laughs> You are winning in blocks, though, which is, you know, the tiebreaker. Not that it'll mean much if you're this far behind. But you have blocked me six times this season while I've only blocked you five times. So maybe you can add to that tally today. I mean, I'm playing, at least I'm playing for something. get into the actual goal picks. Would you like to go first or should I go first? Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you my picks go first when you're ready. Okay, so... With my first pick, I am selecting Darwin Nunez. Uh, I believe Liverpool are at home to Southampton yeah. uh, this weekend. Uh, Nunez has actually been playing well as of late. Um, you know, I think he had an ass- he. I believe he assisted Salah's opener this weekend against Liverpool. Uh, and yeah, he has actually looked pretty good he scored you know some goals in the champions league too so uh southampton i mean southampton could have you know a new manager bounce this weekend away at anfield who knows but right now southampton have been playing like hot garbage so i'm putting nunez in as my first goal pick and my second pick is gonna be kulisevsky um he had a fantastic cameo performance against mm-hmm. Liverpool it wasn't enough to you know take any points away there but in the half hour he played he completely changed the game for Tottenham and gave them a fighting shot and I believe Tottenham also have a pretty favorable matchup this weekend against Leeds Leeds obviously you know they've been a resurgent side but they're still leaking goals I mean they concede three to Bournemouth so they can definitely concede three to Tottenham as well and for my final pick, uh, I'm going with a bit of a wild card here. I don't think this player has been picked yet this season for any goal picks. It's Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, you know, he's back from injury uh, for Everton. Uh, Everton play Bournemouth this weekend. Obviously, Bournemouth just conceded four leads last weekend and have lost four in a row. So there are definitely goals out there for mm-hmm. Everton. And Calvert-Lewin is, he is a quality striker. Uh, you know, he may not have the best, you know, supply into the box in this Everton squad, but he usually takes his chances when he gets them, and he should have a sufficient number of them against Bournemouth. So he will round out my goal picks for this week. So who can I have? You can have them all. Nice. I Holland, Bartnelli, and Jesus, I was pretty confident you were going to take at least one of them at home to arguably the worst defensive team in the league. So, I don't know. I just doubled down. Prayed you take one, and you didn't. You didn't take the bait. Well done. Yeah, it was too risky. All right. I am actually going to change one of my picks because I had Kulishevsky, but I'm so far down, I cannot afford to, like, split anything with you. I need to go for glory here. So, I'm going to change that one out. I'll do that one last. My first one goes by the name of Phil Foden. 
I need to balance out my worst team wins and goal picks somehow. Something's got to give. So I'm taking Phil Foden. <laughs> um, hasn't been on the score sheet in the last couple of weeks. Hat was in the score sheet in many weeks prior. Hoping he finds it. Um, they have a matchup this week of drumroll, please, as my Brentford at home. Brentford at home. Thank you. Um, you know, a game he could score in. Obviously, he's a good player. My second pick is. I'm hoping you give him, give him to me this week, Leandro Trossard. Um, I I just like Leandro Trossard, and I need to stick with what works because he has basically all my goals. So, um, <laughs> Brighton have been scoring a decent amount of goals recently. They got four against Chelsea, and then three last week against Wolves. They have Aston Villa at home this week. Um, you know, hot team, hot in quotations. They scored. They won. They won their last game. Um, Unai Emery typically is pretty solid defensive teams, but Leandro Trossard. Is my boy, so I'm sticking with Leonardo Chosar. Hopefully, he gives me. And the third one, the one that was a uh, game time substitute, is the returning Alan St. Maximon. My pre injury, pre Alan St. Maximon injury player of the season is returning to a ultra spicy jalapeno red hot uh, Newcastle team. And he will have more than one opportunity to score a goal in this game. And I'm hoping he gets three, because I need it. How many can I have? You can have two. <laughs> if you block Trossard, it's not even funny anymore. It's a oh, What? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Showing us some now, Kurosowski. That was the one I was, like, the most confident about. <laughs> Foden is, like, a good soccer player. Trossard, I pick every fucking I was game. actually very – I was very close to taking Foden because my other pick was De Bruyne, and De Bruyne was there as, like, my, okay, he's going to take a City player, but obviously not Holland. So who's it going to be? I just, I just got to take Holland, so, I guess. That's how I should balance it out. Yeah. My other picks were, like I said, De Bruyne and Martinelli, but you cannot have Holland the same maximum. But you can have Kwani Chan, which is, like, basically <sighs> the same thing. It's just as good. So. You're no fun. <laughs> All right. How long he chatted is. He needs to prove himself to get a spot in the starting lineup for. Uh, any, who, well, you still get a hyphenated name. Or you still get that's all I was going player. for, really. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, I also have Dominic Calvert Lewin, so it <laughs> evens out. All righty. We have match week, match week 15 predictions. Up first. Newcastle host Chelsea. What do you got, Ethan? Yeah, this is a pretty good matchup. Um, but I mean, matchup. just some Wait, no, stats. It's not. Chelsea's not in the top four. Yeah, it's a top six, top six matchup. Yeah. Um, but just some stats. I mean, going into this game, Newcastle are unbeaten at home this season with the joint best defensive record in the league. Eleven goals conceded, which is tied best in the Prem. They've won four in a row, sit firmly in third place, and have scored four goals in each of their last two games. Now, Chelsea are winless in four, sit in, not sixth, actually seventh, I believe. Um, look shambolic going forward against Arsenal, and have scored two goals in their last four. So actually, 
there's based on recent form there is nothing there is no evidence that shows that Newcastle won't win this game but at some point something's mm-hmm. got to give cuz at some point Newcastle will probably slow down and at some point Chelsea will probably pick up their performances the question is just when will it be this Saturday I'm going to say no I'm going to say a narrow 1-0 Newcastle okay. victory. I just I don't feel confident saying that Chelsea will get points from St. James's Park cuz it's really really difficult to go there and get something. Yes. I I think I agree. Uh this atmosphere is going to be crazy. Um haven't had a big 6 team at home in a bit. Um flying right now. The most confidence ever for a Newcastle fan base certainly in the last like 20 years um and they're hosting Chelsea Football Club they are going to be up for this game the fans are going to be electric arguably the the most electric ground in the Premier League this year I think I think it's going to be a little more bloodshed I'm going to go 3-1 Newcastle the Chelsea Ooh. Chelsea Chelsea's don't impress me. And honestly, I don't even know if it's really their fault. They don't have a striker, which I've said time and time again is going to hurt them. And they don't have Reese James and they don't have Chilwell or Fofana to to send Cucurella to left wing back. And if they're sticking with that 3-4-3, three, three, it's just it's just not going to work for them. They're going to p- continue to put in unconvincing performance after unconvincing performance and I don't think that's going to stop this weekend. And Newcastle have no reason to slow down. As much as they will at some point, you know, I I just think they're going to roll. And they have not that many injuries. They're getting Allen St. Maximum back, which is a huge boost. Um, mm. I'm going to say 3-1. Can't argue with that at the moment. Brighton hosting Unai Emery's villains. What do you got? Uh, well, both these teams are kind of wild cards, I feel like, because Brighton have, like, just started winning games under Deserby. Obviously, they had a very convincing 4-1 win at home to Chelsea, and then uh, slightly less convincing, but still three-point getting, 3-2 win away at Wolves. So, they haven't been great recently, but they're starting to pick their form up, and obviously Aston Villa... They were phenomenal in their first game without Steven Gerrard against Bournemouth. Shambolic against Newcastle. And then phenomenal again against United, obviously now under Unai Emery. So I'm not really sure what to expect from this Villa team. Because I'm not sure how much of this United performance was really Unai Emery. I mean, he's been there for less than a week. So I don't know what to expect in terms of performance from either of these teams. But what I will expect from this matchup is goals. So I'm going to go with a high-scoring Brighton 2, Aston Villa 3. I think Villa will just edge this one out. Well, don't look now, but Brighton sit 6th in the Premier League, 13 games played. If Brighton win this game at home against Aston Villa, who despite getting a new manager, have looked shoddy in the last five games, um, with the exception of last week. 
they will jump into fifth. And they will be two points behind Tottenham Hotspur for a Champions League spot. This is a Cucurella-less, Ben White-less, uh, Basuma-less, Graham Potter-less, I don't know if I said that before, uh, <laughs> Brighton team yeah. that is one win away from challenging, quote-unquote, challenging top four. This is a I think it's time to say this is a like quality football team we're witnessing. Um, they will put up a absolute fight. Win, lose, or draw, they're going to put up a fight against Aston Villa. Much, much more of a fight than Manchester United put up last weekend. I don't really see Brighton losing this game. I'm going to say 1-1. Trossard. Trossard. And Danny Ings. He hasn't scored in a while. 1-1 one, one draw. Alrighty. Before we sign off today, we have a closing segment. Ethan, would you like to get into that? I would. Uh, today's closing segment is an EPL version of The Price mm-hmm. is Right. With Brayden being our contestant. Come on down. <laughs> Uh, is the phrase on Price is Right. And if you don't, if you've never watched The Price is Right, which I haven't, but I do know the concept, <laughs> um, it is a game show where, you know, the contestant has to guess the retail value of an item without going over. And so here, Brayden will be guessing the return on a $100 bet for a variety of possible Premier League occurrences, either this season or this weekend. Uh, and the odds are courtesy of DraftKings, not sponsored, <laughs> because betting websites do not have more <laughs> sponsoring. Okay, Brayden, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. Okay, Brayden, so what would you guess your return on a $100 bet to be if you bet on Arsenal to score four or more this weekend against Wolves? Four or more goals. Well... They are at home, which I know sports books like it's an automatic out. Well, no, Go ahead. well, well Arsenal are in. Oh, are they? Oh, I thought they were home. Okay, that's yeah, they are. They're away. Um, <laughs> I know that sports books like to put in automatic like betting shifts based on home and away, regardless of like form. Um, so I'm gonna say four goals at Bournemouth. I'll say six and a half to one. So hundred dollar bet return six fifty. It's a pretty decent guess. Uh, the return is five hundred dollars. Okay. So so I thought it was a little more rare than DraftKings. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that's actually a not even solid, the Arsenal fan in me uh, could be prediction. as optimistic as mm-hmm. as DraftKings. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for the next one, it's a bit, this one is, the rest of these aren't about uh, this weekend. It's, you know, for the yeah. rest of the season. Miguel Almiron, who I have in this graphic behind me, uh, to win PFA Player of the Year. <laughs> this has got to be ridiculous odds. I'm going to say uh, 25 to 1. $100 bet wins 2500 
well, clearly you're underval overvaluing. Yeah, I think you're overvaluing him compared to DraftKings because coin if you bet a hundred dollars on DraftKings or Almiron to win PFA player of the year, you would win ten thousand one hundred. Hundred to one? I mean, honestly, it's probably not Almiron's fault. It's probably Holland's fault because he's all but wrapped it up. Just you know. Maybe a freak knee injury, which he almost had. But, yeah, uh, I mean, not only has Holland been perfect, but so is De Bruyne. So, uh, even if Holland goes down, he would need both of them to go down. And a, a stellar season from a player that's been paying average for his entire career. So, uh, yeah, no, I could probably see that. I, I guess I was trying to give Elmer on the benefit of the doubt, but I guess I didn't consider his competition. And Juan knows something sure. even better. Jack Jack Grealish, Jack Grealish's odds are 6,500 to one, while Almiron's are or not 6,500 to one. They're plus 6,500, while Almiron's are plus 10,000. <sighs> so Jack Grealish has better Player of the Year odds than Almiron. Maybe they know so. something we don't. <laughs> I don't think they do. Alexander Mitrovic to finish as top scorer of oh, the Premier is, League. This is going to be crazy, too, because I'm sure that Holland is, like, a ridiculous favorite. I I think the next highest after Holland is probably, like, 15 to 1. So, I'm going to say that Mitrovic on how many goals? Seven? Nine. He's nine. nine. I mean, it doesn't really fucking matter at this point. Um, I'm going to say he has a 60 to one, 100 to win 6,000. That would be another very close guess. You win 6,500. Yeah, that's probably about right. I, I, I factored in the, the competition this time. That kind of makes sense. All right. This next one is a bit more. A bit more down to earth, you know. Obviously, you know, Mitrovic to finish his top score, Almiron win player of the year, not very realistic. But this next one, you know, is very debatable. Liverpool to finish top four. Oof. I feel like the sports books would give Liverpool more credit than they have deserved this season. So I'm going to say this is like. Plus. 250. $100 bet return 250. Yeah, you're a little further off on this one. Uh, a $100 bet would actually return $69. You're absolutely joking. They're favoring them to finish top four. I am not joking. <sighs> Minus 145. I, I fear for any delusional four. Liverpool fan who's, who takes that because, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I mean, maybe I'm just being overly harsh on Liverpool, but, like, that seems ridiculous. Yeah. Tottenham are not favored, by the way, to finish top four. Are, they have plus 100. So odds. Chelsea is favored over them? No. Literally the only... The only teams favored to finish top four are Arsenal and Liverpool and City. But you actually can't even bet on City to finish top four because it's huh. like that guaranteed. Very interesting. Mind. 
yes, I, I guess I'm overly pessimistic, and I don't know if Liverpool fans, maybe you guys are as pessimistic as I am, but wow, that seems that seems like not the right odds, but um, they make a ridiculous amount of money. I'm not here to question. And for the final bet, we'll see how patriotic DraftKings <laughs> okay, Sportsbook is. Leads to go down. Oh, I thought it was USA to win the World Cup. <laughs> uh, leads to go down. Basically the same thing. Leads USA. Well, yeah. assuming that they basically locked up that. I mean, nothing's locked up. It, like, eight points separates last and 11th. So, I'm going to say leads to go down is plus 150. Hundred dollars wins one fifty. They are plus four hundred to go down. So to uh, go look down. At me. So they have more confidence. Yeah, I mean, I guess they who they tip to go down would be Forest, Bournemouth, and Wolves. Maybe Southampton. Yeah, Forest and Bournemouth are the only ones favored to go down. Wolves are. And Wolves and Southampton are the next highest. Wolves plus 120, Southampton sure. plus 165. I guess before this weekend, I mean, again, I'd like to reiterate this. The Bournemouth Leeds game was crucial this early in the season for the for the relegation battle. So before this weekend, I think it'd be probably a little bit closer to 150. But after Leeds, not only pick up three points, but hand Bournemouth a loss, I could I could see that. All right, and that rounds out the uh, the prices right. That was fun. I I clearly have no idea what I should not open a sports book because I would get <laughs> dragged. <laughs> I would give people way too good odds for uh, Liverpool to stay up to uh, get top four. <laughs> Anyways, that rounds out our podcast for this week. Just one more podcast until the World Cup 2022. We will have a full, in-depth World Cup uh, preview podcast before the World Cup kicks off in 13 days. We are understandably excited, and we assume that you guys are too. Um, But with that, we will sign off. Adios. See ya.